Good morning. Okay, much better. All right, this morning, it's my privilege to um, preach from Second, Second Kings 4, and I uh, resonate a lot with this passage, and I'm going to explain why. I'm going to share a story which some of you probably have heard a lot, uh, a lot of times before, but, um, but then there are others who may not, okay? So I'm going to share the story. You know, when I was called to serve at Trinity Park uh, in 2015, this is like almost eight years ago now, um, one of the things I knew coming to the church was when I was called uh, is the fact that I needed to raise partial salary to work at Trinity Park. So uh, it wasn't a full paid salary at that point in time. So I had to raise partial salary, and this partial salary would would be a total of um, $84,000 for three years, with the hope that in the fourth year, the church will be able to pay me a full salary. So there's a lot of going by faith, right? And, uh, and as I was thinking about this with my wife, Amanda, we were still in Philadelphia at that time, I was like, should we take this job? Should we not? Um, there was a lot going through our minds, just trying to figure out, trying to have a sense of, of where God is calling us. But yet, despite of the fear of trying to raise support, we decided to, to accept the call um, because we're excited to be able to work in a church, uh, particularly in, in this church where, where the setting is different from what I've worked in. And uh, I was, we're excited to work in a church where, where we could experience a lot of cultural diversity, a lot of people that are different uh, that we can work with. And so that was something that's exciting. And so I came to the church two weeks earlier in, in uh, the summer of 2015 uh, while Anderson and, and Amanda was still in Philadelphia. So the reason why I had to come earlier was so that I could travel and raise money for, for this job. And, and so as I was thinking about it, trying to come up with a game plan, trying to come up with a list of people of who to, to you know, ask for money, um, I remember that you know, the list of people that I knew were mostly from Mississippi because that's where I went to seminary and that's where Amanda is from. So we, we came up with this list of, of names. And, um, and so, yeah, so I came here and then I traveled to Mississippi and I came up with a list. And the first person on that list is this lady uh, from Taiwan who is a classmate of mine at, at RTS, uh, the seminary that I went to. And she's one of those persons that loves to study. So she is a little older, but she loves to study. She loves to uh, gain knowledge. So she's trying to get a, a PhD in, in um, theology. And, and so I was thinking, like, wow, <laughs> you're not really wanting to serve. You just want to gain knowledge. You just want to gain as much as possible. And, and that's great of her. And she has the, um, the ability to do so because her husband is a doctor is a family practitioner who owns a, a little practice in Mississippi. And so what I knew about them is that they were extremely generous people. They would at times invite people from the seminary to come over to their house to have dinner, to play some games, to connect. Um, so they were very generous. So, so obviously they were top of my list. And so I went to them um, and um, to their homes. I drove there. Uh, and then we, we spend the evening together. They invited me to stay over too, so I spent the evening together. 
And this is where the crazy happens, okay? I spent a night with them, and we talk about my call to uh, Trinity Park and the amazing opportunity that I have to work at this church to serve in this area that's culturally diverse, all right? And so after we talk, she wrote me a check, a one-time check of $3,000 that night to support me. And I thought, man, I'm off to a good start. It's amazing. And the next morning, um, we had breakfast together, and we continued to talk more and process more. And just as I was leaving their house, she uh, pulled me aside, and she gave me another check, another $3,000. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Maybe I should stay a few more nights. But um, after, you know, she handed me the second check, and then she also handed me my pledge card that I have to raise support. She um, had written something in a pledge form, and so she gave it to me. But I didn't have a chance to look at it as I was heading out of the car, trying to go to my next appointment to meet other people. Then as I was in the car, um, I was driving too. I look at the uh, pledge form, and this is mind-blowing, okay? When I look at it, I was puzzled, but I was also shocked because I was trying to process through it. Is this real? All right? So in that form, this lady had pledged to me a monthly support of $3,000 for the next three years. $3,000 for the next three years. I had to bring up my phone to calculate because I have no idea how much that, that is. And so I calculated, and, and so I was thinking, I have two checks from her, $3,000 each, so that's $6,000. That's amazing. And then to receive this pledge from this lady, so $3,000 for three years is $108,000. And adding that $6,000, she is giving me a total of $114,000. And I got the process to it, so I'll Corey immediately on, on, my, on my car. And I asked him, hey, uh, I need your help. I need help to process through this. I wasn't sure if I'm reading this right. So I read to him from the pledge. And then at the end of it, um, he kind of paused. And then he said, uh, this is unreal. In all my life of raising support, I've never seen someone raise a support in one day. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. So Mark, if you need some help, you know, we can talk more, OK? <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not me, okay? So I'm totally terrible at raising support, but it's thanks to the generosity of this lady. And I was thinking, like, <laughs> I'm done with my support raising after one day. And this is incredible. What an incredible story of generosity. Which, you know, as I was thinking about it at that time, it was amazing. But yet, now that I've been in church for eight years, as I'm processing through this, writing this sermon, I think that it is actually not that... Um, in some sense because I think you know as Christians God calls us to be generous God desires for us to be generous because generous generosity it's a desirable trait from God as God wants to instill in us you know he he cares for us he has shown generosity to us and that is why he calls us to be generous so this is a desirable trait from him. And Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. You know, God wants to show his generosity because God himself 
is a generous God, especially through his provision from his son, Jesus Christ. And those who follow him, those who follow Christ, ought to live like him, as we see in this story this morning, this story of generosity. So as we process through this story, you know, there are a few things I want to share. We're going to see the correlation between generosity first, generosity and hospitality. Then we're going to talk about generosity and contentment. And finally, we will see the correlation between generosity and reward. So let's dive into generosity and hospitality. And her story begins with the, an introduction of this wealthy woman in the land of Shunem. You know, when we think about the wealthy, sometimes the Bible doesn't really speak highly of them. Right? There, there are many passages in the Bible that warns against those who are wealthy because, you know, their wealth could be a spiritual danger which leads to all kinds of temptations and danger and evil. You know, passage such as Matthew 19 comes to mind when Jesus warns about the difficulty of the rich entering the kingdom of God. Right? But this story, this story of the Shunammite woman seems to give hope to the rich. You know, despite of her status as someone who is wealthy, she seems to be a godly woman, judging by her character and, and what she does and her actions towards Elisha and his servant. You know, one thing we see from her beginning, from the beginning of this passage, is her commitment to hospitality. You know, she practiced intentional hospitality with Elisha and his servant, Gehazi. You know, when it comes to hospitality, hospitality, sometimes you think about it and be honest. You know, we don't always mean what we say. You know, you and I have, have been guilty of that. We have said things like, you know, hey, you know what? We should get together. You know, we should hang out. We should do things together. Or, you know, you should come over to our house for dinner or something like that. Right? We say this often, but sometimes we don't really follow up. We don't really mean it. Maybe because we don't have time or maybe because we, we just don't mean it. But this woman was really intentional from the beginning. You know, I love how the text emphasized the word urge. She urged him to eat some food. This word is used in a similar context in Acts 16 to describe Lydia's hospitality towards Paul. You know, Acts 16 verse 15 said, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the word prevail and the word urge is very similar in that context. You know, Lydia, with strong intentionality and sincerity, invited Paul to stay at her house. And it is the same intention shown here by this woman from Shunem towards Elisha. You know, it wasn't just, hey, Elisha, no pressure, but you know, you are always welcome to my house. That's not how this word is played out. It's more like this. Elisha, I will not take no for an answer. I want you to come to my house and eat with me when you pass by. See this strong intentionality, this strong sincerity. And we see that later too in, in the fact that her intentionally continues to stood out even more when she consulted with a husband to build a room for Elisha and his servants so that they would not only have a room to rest, but also privacy from the pressures of ministry. 
And this brings up another good point of, of, on a hospitality. Now, this woman clearly doesn't only want to show kindness to Elisha and his servant, but she also wants to see them thrive in the ministry. How so? Well, you see, her recognition that Elisha is a holy man of God speaks to her understanding that this person is important, that he is doing God's work. He is advancing God's kingdom. And because he's continuously traveling back and forth you know, in his ministry, she decided that the best way to support him is through this ministry of hospitality. Now, with the benefit of a fully furnished room, she believes this will help ease his burden of ministry and find rest for his soul. You know, what a blessing it is for Elisha. And certainly what a blessing it is also for many of you, perhaps, who have practiced this sort of a hospitality. You know, many of you have, have seen the example of, of this woman and have practiced it yourself, have followed the example by welcoming missionaries into your homes, allowing them to stay with you while they are um, going through the furlough. Many of you have opened your homes to invite those in ministry to dine with you, to stay with you. And a few years ago, I um, was a recipient of such care and generosity to, uh, not, not necessarily from an individual, but from a ministry. A Christian brother approached me um, because he started a ministry. And he approached me, well, actually he approached the presbytery, but I, I kind of took up his offer. So he approached the presbytery, mentioning that, that he started a ministry caring for pastors and missionaries who are coming back to North Carolina. And so in his ministry, he has this home near the lake where he would like to offer it to, to anyone who likes to stay there for a few days or a week or so to recharge. So I took up the offer and went to his lake house at Lake Wiley. Um, Drew, our, our uh, youth pastor, and Corey were supposed to join me, but in the end, they kind of backed out, which I was like, oh, man, that blows. So I went to this house on my own, didn't know anything about it. I was like, okay, I'll try to rest there. So as I arrived to this, this lake house, I've never seen it before, so I didn't know what to expect. Went to this this lake house, and when I arrived, it looked to me more like a lake mansion, okay? So there were nine rooms in this mansion near the lake with a boat and kayaks and bikes where you can freely use on your own. And so the, the brother welcomed me when I arrived, prayed for me to find rest before he departs, and said, you know, enjoy this house. You know, it's all yours. There's food in the refrigerator, there's nine rooms for you to choose from, so there's plenty of bathrooms and a lake, whatever you want to do, just spend your time. I was like, man, this is amazing. Well, sorry, Drew and Corey, but this was a great time for me, and, and so um, as I think about it, I was like, what a generous offer it is from this man, but yet this is a great example for for, you know, many of us who may, may not own homes like this, but yet have practiced generosity in that manner, right? And this is a great example for many of us who practice this kind of generosity, that even if you're not involved in ministry, what you are doing is ministry, because you are participating 
in supporting someone who is in a ministry, and therefore this is your ministry too. And so it's a great tangible way to show hospitality as a way to minister to those who are missionaries, to those who are pastors, to those who are full-time in the ministry. So do not ever underestimate the work that you're doing to hospitality. And one final thing to consider too from this woman's hospitality example is too, as we see too here, uh, is her willingness to serve even when she is suffering. There's a bit of reading between the lines here, but her suffering is implied in this story, especially later on when the Lord blessed this woman with a child. You know, you see this woman is childless because her husband is old, and so she bears the pain of shame that comes from having no heir, just like many of the barren women in those days. Being childless is shameful in those days. Being childless is a terrible pain and burden that women have to bear. But yet, despite her pain, she did not allow it to stifle her willingness to serve others. You know, a lot of times when we think about generosity, we think about what we can give and what we can serve, how we can serve only when we have the means, only when we have something extra, only when we are in the right spirit, when everything is going well, when I'm in the mood. But true generosity calls for us to give, not out of access, but what we have in the present moment. Let me repeat that. True generosity calls for us not to give out of access, not out of the extra, but what we have in the present moment. You know, how often do I default in giving or in serving when I have extra? Or when everything is going right with my family or, or you know, when, yeah, everything aligns well. But that's not what, what this woman did. And, and certainly there are also countless of other examples. Take the example of this widow with the two coins in the New Testament. That's a great example of, of how to be generous. You know, she, with two coins, gave all she had at that moment. And she was commended for her generosity. Because Jesus says, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. So she was commended for her generosity. And this is what true generosity looks like. And I do get it. You know, we all experience true moments of sufferings and hardships. True moments of busyness and chaos in our lives. And true moments of living in poverty at times. But let us not allow this to dictate our lives or prevent us from seeking to live generously with our time, with our money and talent. Because this is how God calls us to live it out. Because remember, He is a generous God. Because of His generosity towards us, He calls us to live in that manner. And so as we live out generosity, let us live out, not out of our access, but, but out of what we have in that present moment. Secondly, let's talk about generosity and contentment. You know, seeing the generosity of this woman, it's only natural for Elisha to want to reciprocate for her kindness. You know, one day he was lying in his bed, he told Gehazi, his servant, to get this woman so that he can inquire of what they can do for her. 
I love the interaction between Gehazi and, and the women. And Gehazi said, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my people. You know, you see, this woman was wealthy, and so it was hard to offer her anything, right? And Elisha thought perhaps a political favor from the king or maybe a protection from the commander of the army may be what she needs. But instead, her response was simply, I dwell among my people. This is an incredible response. What she's implying is that she doesn't need any political favor or protection because she is content with where she is. You know, God has given her everything she needs right now. She's in a place where she has land, a home, friends, community, and also ministry to serve others. She has no desire for worldly advancements or desire to climb the social ladder. She was perfectly content with what she already had, perfectly at peace with what God has provided for her. Now, Jeremiah Burrow, a 17th century pastor and a writer, wrote a fantastic book on, on Christian contentment. Now, this is what he said. He said, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposable in every condition. Now, this is well said. This summarizes contentment so well. And this clearly summarizes what this, how this woman has lived her life. She's a clear example of what contentment looked like. I dwell among my people. I'm happy where I am. I don't need anything else. You know, another aspect of, of Christian contentment where we th can think of is not only perfectly at peace with what we have, but also perfectly at peace with what we don't have. Sometimes it's so hard to wrap our minds around this because we all have wants and we all have desires. And to add the pressure to what the world is telling us to, our world is constantly telling us to, to get more, to take more, right? to desire more in the name of, of progress, in the name of growth. You know, you got to keep improving yourself. You got to keep doing well. You got to keep making more money in the name of security. That's right. Our world is constantly telling us to take more, to take more, to want more, to desire more, simply because it's tapping into our restless, sinful heart, right? As sinful people, our hearts are restless always because we're constantly searching, searching and searching. And yet the world is, is feeding to that, is telling us to keep searching for more. You know, we see someone with a nice house. We want it. We see someone with well-behaved kids. We wish for it, right? We see the success of people. We covet it. But here's the thing. It is not necessarily sinful to have wants and desires if they're aligned with God's intention for us. If they're aligned with God's intention for us, then it is good. But if our wants and desires are out of God's will, 
or taken to the extreme, then it is sinful. It becomes an addiction. And this is where we have idols in our hearts. And so before we think about our wants and desires, it's often important to take that step back, to pause, to seek God first, to ask God to reveal to us His desire for us, His purpose for us. And then at times when we find ourselves tempted with a desire of wanting more, with a desire of, of seeking more, we need to turn to Him. We need to turn to God to ask for the spirit of contentment in our hearts, to ask for the spirit of rest. Remember, our hearts are restless. But God can give you the spirit of rest. Remember, Jesus says, Come to me, all of who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. This is not just physical rest. It's a rest for our soul, a rest that we don't have to keep searching and running after things, a rest that we can be completely at ease and peace with God. And so the spirit of contentment helps us to push back against our wants and desires that may lead to sin. But it also reminds us of all the blessings that God had provided for us. We do well to ask God to instill this contentment in our hearts. As 1 Timothy 6, 6 tells us that contentment is a great sign of godliness and is a great gain for us. So despite of whatever circumstances you may be, wealthy or not, we all need the spirit of contentment. And if you think about it, it's not just the wealthy that continues to desire more, it's also the poor, right? And every one of us needs to learn how to live in contentment with what we have, what God has provided for us, right? And just continue to trust in Him for that. And finally, we look at generosity and reward. We see the cor- correlation here. You know, when, when we're young, sometimes our parents often have to bribe us in order for us to do our chores, right? Parents have to bribe us to follow our directions. Sometimes, okay? Not always, but sometimes. Or more often than not. But when we're older, I hope we grow out of this kind of thinking because we're more mature and understanding. Now, when we live as, as adults, right, we, we do things because we understand our responsibility we understand our calling, and sure, the rewards and benefit do come, but they come as a result of our work. As for this Shunammite woman, she wasn't expecting any reward to come from her generosity. She was simply serving out of her godly character, out of, her, out of the blessings that God had provided for her. Now, she understood what God has done for her and what God is calling her to do. She was blessed with wealth, a good community, and a husband who loves and understands her. So she has everything, but yet this is how she wants to pour into people. She wasn't asking for reward. And so as you think about this, you know, for someone who, who has everything and also is content, how hard is it to give something to a person like that, who has everything, who's content? Well, it was really hard, 
But upon further investigation, Elisha found out that there's one thing missing in this woman's life. You know, his servant Gehazi said she has no son and her husband is old. So Elisha has uncovered a burden that this woman carried. Deep down, she longs for a son, but because of her husband's old age, it seems highly impossible for that. And as I mentioned earlier, the pain of childlessness is real for her as it comes with the burden of shame. And not only that, it also comes with the reality that one day she may lose everything when her husband dies because she has no heir. So in those days, if you have no heir, when your husbands die, everything is taken from you. You lose everything. And so Elisha had compassion on her burden and told her good news. He said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And notice the woman's response. No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. She, in some sense, responded with unbelief. That can't be true. You know, to us, this is somewhat understandable, considering how this burden might have impacted her life. She, you know, didn't want to live with this sort of a expectation. And then for that expectation to be taken away. So she was wary about it. But in spite of her doubt, God was gracious and granted her a son just as promised by Elisha. And I want you to see and understand that this miracle that happened to her was not based on her faith. She did not really believe. But yet God provided for her. So this miracle was not based on her faith, but simply on the grace of God. Simply on the grace of God. God was gracious to her and provided her with an heir. And so in our understanding between the correlation of generosity and reward, it is important for us to remember a few things, all right? For one, all our works, all our works do not go unnoticed by God. Sometimes people may overlook our works, and may forget the things that we do, but God does not. He sees all things, the good and the bad, so we can't hide our sins before Him as we often try to do so. And surely, because we cannot hide anything from Him, He also noticed the good works we do. Perhaps you still need a little convincing, considering maybe you don't think you are significant in God's eyes. You don't think that the things that you do may be important. You know, you think I'm just a regular person who's not blessed with wealth or status, so my works do not matter. But I want you to remember this as you look at this passage. Look at this woman's life. God took notice of this woman. Why? Who is she? She's not really an important figure in the Bible if you think about that. Her name wasn't even mentioned in the Bible. She's a nameless woman in the Bible. And her story doesn't really connect with the prominent line of, of the people that comes from the line of Abraham. But yet, God told her story to remind us that we all have a place in his heart because he created us and therefore he sees us and knows all of us. And what we do. 
And second, not only is the second, our work is not only unnoticed by God, but our work is also not unrewarded by God. You know, God sees and rewards because He is a God who rules with justice and equity, and He is good. And because He is good and just, He will not let any wickedness or sin go unpunished. And because He is good and He is just, He will also reward our good works that we do for Him. You know, in the story of this woman, her generosity towards Elisha was reciprocated with a blessing from God for a long-awaited son. We see God's goodness to this story because, as I mentioned earlier, God took notice of this woman's kindness even if she and her child are not prominent characters in the Bible, even if they have no names, God took notice of them simply because God wants to remind us that He is good, that His goodness shines through this story. And His goodness comes to reward those who does good work. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 said, Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But I do want to add a side note to this. You know, we need to remember that while many times we may see some reward and blessings in what we do in this life, yet there are many other times that that may not happen at all. Just as we see you know, wickedness and rebelliousness prosper in this life, so those who serve God faithfully may not always be reciprocated at that moment for their work. But yet make no mistake that this does not mean that there's no justice or this does not mean that there's no reward. It just means that in due time, at the end of all things, God will return to unleash His justice and render upon us all of, for, for all our works once and for all through Jesus Christ. He will come to right all the wrongs, to put away all wickedness and rebelliousness, and He will vindicate the victims of injustices. And He will bless His followers with everlasting inheritance. You know, we sung earlier about the glorious truth that one day, we will be crowned with glory. One day, our joy may be complete as we live in the everlasting arm of our Father. This will be our glorious reward, our glorious inheritance as Christians. What more can we ask for? And so to summarize all of this, you know, as Christians, we're not called to serve or do things simply for the sake of of gaining reward and blessing. Right? God has blessed us with His love and eternal life through Jesus Christ. We didn't earn it through our good works because our good works weren't good enough as sinful people. In fact, Isaiah said our good works are like filthy rags in God's eyes. But Christ's good works, it's sufficient for us. And because of what Christ has done for us, you know, the gift of Jesus Christ then is God's ultimate act of generosity to us. 
and as recipients of this generosity, we are called to extend it to others. In our generosity, we are called to live in hospitality, to serve others. We're called to live in contentment because we have everything from our Father in heaven. And in our generosity, God is not oblivious to our good works. And he will reward us in this life or the next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity of reminding us, Lord, of who we are in you. I thank you, Lord, that you have first extended your generosity to us to your son, Jesus Christ, in him that we have been given all things. And so we thank you for your act of generosity to us. And because of that, we thank you that not only that you are good to us, but you also reminded us and call us, especially all of us who follow you, to do good, to reciprocate your acts of generosity to others around us. So I thank you for this. I thank you for the the reminder. I thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. Lord, you are good. You are good to us despite of everything that is happening in our lives, despite of everything that's happening in the world, that you are good. And one day your goodness will really shine true and that there will be no more wickedness, no more injustices, no more corruption in this world. One day we will be crowned with glory and our joy may be complete as we remain in the everlasting arms of our Father. And I praise you and I long for that day, Lord. Thank you and I ask all this in Jesus' name.